there's a lot of myths about email marketing that you can't do certain things. You can't say the word free, or you can't use capitalization, or you can't use an exclamation point, or are emojis good? There's so many little things like that that has a huge effect on your performance, and people don't know what the right answer is. When you think about all the media channels available, organic search, paid search, social media referral links, and email marketing, I think email is probably among the most effective and underutilized channels. And we get so much spam, so we're nervous about alienating our contacts. And, um, and email is, is so much more labor intensive than social media that I think it gets less attention and is frankly less understood, particularly for B2Bs, startups, and small business. Uh, but it's such an important piece of the pie, particularly for e-commerce. So um, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today, uh, Jay Schwedelson. He uh, has been focused on email marketing for over 20 years. He's the CEO of World Data, and he's a board member of the Direct Marketing Association. Jay, welcome to the Earn Media Hour. Oh, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for including me. Before we get started, if you want to use social media to get more clients, you should definitely download the new 2021 Social Media Trends Report, which predicts the top 10 trends in social media marketing for 2021. You can download it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash talkwalker. The 2021 Social Media Trends Report is based on insights using Talkwalker Analytics and Talkwalker Quick Search. Now, if you aren't aware of Talkwalker, it's a very powerful social media analytics platform that you can use to monitor what's being said about your brand on social media. And you can use it to track buyer-oriented conversations. Right now, people are on social networks and they're talking about what to buy, who to buy it from, where to buy it. And if you're listening to those conversations, you can steer the decision-making process in your direction. The 2021 Social Media Trends Report will help you do just that. It just came out, and you can download it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash talkwalker. You know, everyone's home. Everyone's online. Yeah. Tell me what you're seeing in terms of how things have changed post-COVID. So, you know, email is in a renaissance right now. Uh, there's never been a better time to be sending out email. And why is that? Uh, number one, inbox activity is up about 20% since January. What does that mean? That means people that are in their inbox, checking their email, whether they're checking it as a business professional or as a consumer, they're in their inbox more because we're all online more. Our kids are doing uh, online learning. We're at home doing more Zoom meetings. We are online a lot. So people are in their inboxes more. The other reason emails in this renaissance is that right now social media is a place for lots of very confrontational conversations. We're in an election cycle. There's a lot of things where people are, are, are really banging heads. And social media is this place where that discussion is happening. 
And it's not really the greatest opportunity for marketing activities at this moment. So people are looking to other channels and email because the inbox activity is so much higher. It's a place where people really don't go to discuss and argue. They're looking for offers. They're looking for opportunities. So it's this perfect kind of storm that's allowing email to really flourish right now. So what's what sort of keywords are working best in subject lines? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting over the last six months. Obviously, the world has changed. You know, if we look back in January, that was when the world was normal. And then you fast forward to March. From March to about uh, May or June, everything was very strange, right? Everyone was talking about in their emails, wash your hands and we're closed, we're open. It was all these crazy things. People didn't know what to do. But coming out of the summer, we've really seen email uh, take this aggressive posture where we're in a bad economy, right? People need sales. Uh, and whether, again, consumer or B2B, people are, marketers are getting very aggressive about pushing these sales. And you know what? Consumers, because it's a bad economy, they're looking for the best deals and business professionals are looking for the best deals, right? So what's working right now, more than anything, is, is creating a sense of urgency, especially in that subject line. What I mean by a sense of urgency is you want to have your offers expire in some capacity, Right. So let's say you're going to go out there and you have a free shipping. It's it needs to end. It ends in 48 hours. It ends in 24 hours. It ends on Friday. Whatever your offer is, I don't care if you're a professional or a consumer offer doesn't matter. There needs to be offer expiration. That is the number one thing that's going to drive performance as it relates to email marketing. So a lot of the uh, listeners of this show are folks in marketing and public relations. Mm -hmm. And in many, in many cases, we're not actually putting out an offer. Mm -hmm. We're putting out either a newsletter or some sort of content, some sort of informational uh, email that maybe has some sort of a promotional opportunity inside of it, but it's really sort of packaged as news. So if for those types of, 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 of emails, newsletters, or content-oriented email, what sort of subject head, uh, keywords are working best in the subject headlines, and what sort of subject headline uh, length is good? So for newsletters, one thing that we've really seen marketers steer away, away from is wallpaper effect, uh, which is a lot of newsletters would use the same kind of subject line format, you know, Tuesday's update, right? And then it'll be Wednesday's update. And the newsletter may have the exact same subject line with maybe just an update of a date. And that's a very common theme that newsletters, people that send out newsletters use. It's actually doing horribly. Uh, The trend is to get away from the static subject line uh, when you're sending it out and to really mix it up, to leverage whatever your content is about and to really put that front and center in your subject line. But the thing that's really working over the last 60 days is some sort of suspense related subject line, whether that be a question, right? Taking your content and turning it into a question, who are going to be the leaders in your industry? Question mark, right? Or uh, you can even have one word. It could just literally be one word and have it be a question mark. Anything where you're creating suspense, where the, where the recipient's like, hmm, I want to know the answer to that, or I need to open up this email and check out what's going on in this newsletter, creating suspense right now in the subject line, news, people that are sending out newsletters are using that to a massive advantage, and it's really lifting open rates. Tell us about subjectline.com. You know, subjectline.com is interesting. When we started subjectline.com, we had no idea it was going to be as take off as fast as it did. So um, 
people would always, uh, marketers would always be, okay, I have this great newsletter or I have this great piece of content. I want to email it out. And I've been working on my email for so long. I got my email done. I'm ready to send it out. And then we'd say, great, well, what's your subject line going to be? And they're like, oh, uh, who cares? And they would write something in about five seconds and they would send it out. And they'd give no thought to the subject line. And then their open rates wouldn't be great. How many people are opening up their email? When people don't realize, you know, if you put on our traditional direct marketing hat, the subject line is the outer envelope, just like of our direct mail piece, right? If the outer envelope of your direct mail piece isn't compelling, nobody opens up their direct mail piece. The subject line is that outer envelope. And when we, when we realize that, we realize the importance of it, we said we need to create a tool that the marketplace can use to figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work. So you can literally go to subjectline.com. It has a box. You put in the subject line you're going to use, and it will tell you, hey, this one's good or this one's bad, and here's why it's good or bad. And we've now checked over 8 million subject lines, which is a lot of subject lines when you think about it. So, and it, you know, it's a catch-all. Certainly there's other parameters, there's other variables. Every marketer is different. But it makes sure you pay attention to certain things. It also dispels a lot of myths. All the email you're sending for clients pre-COVID and post-COVID, are you seeing a change in open rates? Oh, yeah. So open rates across the board, newsletters specifically, we're seeing an excess of 15% increased open rates for newsletters specifically. Offer-related messages are even higher on average. Um, and the reason being is, people are online. We're also right now in a perfect crazy storm. And here's why. You have not just the pandemic where people are home and they're online a lot. Okay. You have some kids that are doing online school. Families are online that much more, but we're also in this election cycle. Historically, we know web traffic goes up 15 to 20% leading into an election. Right. And we also know that that same number relates to your inbox. So you have the pandemic traffic that's causing it to go up. Now you have the election traffic that's causing it to go up because people want to see what's going on. Right. So all this is happening, which is causing open rates to go that much higher. And this is why we're encouraging uh, the people that we work with, the markers that we work with. You need to send more, not less right now. You need to stand out. You need to be aggressive. Uh, because the activity is huge and there's an appetite for it. We see it in the open rates. What about click-throughs and unsubscribes? Yeah, so, you know, every every market is going to be different in terms of their ability to generate click-through. You know, how good is the content in your message? How How on point is it? How relevant is it? What we have seen is that marketers that are discussing what's going on today and not avoiding it are benefiting. Nobody really wants to hear about generic topics that could be taking place a year ago. They want to know about what is the impact in my industry as it relates to COVID? What's the outlook for 2021? Um, everything has to be related to what is going on. I will tell you, as it relates to future thinking stuff, um, we're seeing a massive spike in anything related to 2021 and actually Q1 of 2021, whether it's consumer or B2B. People want, to, people want to move on, right? We're all sick of what's going on. And being able to put things in your subject line, like what's 2021 going to be like or trends for 2021, having that in your subject line instantly going to boost your open rates because we are all ready to move on to next year. At a high level, for someone who's getting started with email, give us just sort of, you know, from 40,000 feet looking down, where does email fit strategically in the overall digital marketing pie? 
You know, email is, people look at it as a legacy channel because it's been around forever. And the death of email has been reported probably 50 times in the last 10 years. It's going to die. Something's going to replace it. You know, Facebook's going to replace Slack. it. Slack, Slack is going Slack to is gonna kill email. Yeah. Everything is going to kill email, right? But here's the kicker. When you need to go and get your, uh, your Slack password, it says, oh, yeah, click here. And then they send you an email to get your Slack password. Right. So email is the great thing that will never go away. We're like, I don't want to say we're the cockroach of, of, of marketing, but we're never going to go away. You can't get rid of us. Um, and in many respects, email is uh, drives a massive amount of activity, of response, of interaction. Um, and your database as a whole is so critical. So uh, it's, it's, it's often the forgotten stepchild. But I think more and more, as marketers get more and more sophisticated, they begin to realize, well, wow, my email database is really, it's that, it's, it's that thing I need to pay attention to because it will always be there for me. Um, and it's something I own. You know, when you run stuff on social media, a lot of times when you're doing paid campaigns because it's hard to get your follower count and who even knows how valuable your follower count is or you're trying to get likes and who even knows how much a like is worth. And, you know, and you're trying to do your SEO and get your search rankings listed higher and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, when you press that button and you send out your email to your email list, there's some level of predictability about what's going to happen. And you know, if you can add more people to your list, it's going to get you that much more, right? So that predictability is a beautiful thing. And it's why email continues to be one of the most important channels. On the B2C side, are there any generalizations you can make about, say, the percentage of sales that are driven through email? You know, it's, it's a tough call to just say email, email generates this and social generates this and display generates this because they all kind of blend together, especially you when you talk trends in different industries. Sure. Like, OK. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, travel right now having a real hard time. Right. Travel hospitality. I don't care what channel it's having a real, real hard time right now. Um, we are seeing on the on the consumer side. Um, offer driven stuff doing exceptionally well, right? Anything related to free. You know, when you're in a bad economy, uh, free anything is going to do really well. Free content, free email, free checklists, free offers, free anything is doing incredibly well on the consumer side. And I encourage marketers to leverage the word free and uh, in, in, in everything you could possibly do. On the B2B side, when you got a sales cycle and, uh, you know, you got to nurture and, and keep people warm, do you have a, can you make any generalizations maybe on an industry by industry basis of what percentage of sales or even maybe leads can be attributed to email? Yeah, email is phenomenal for on the B2B side uh, when you're leveraging a piece of, of content. So we see a lot, for example, the SMB space does phenomenally well with email. Uh, those markers are targeting an SMB audience uh, because generally speaking, small business owners are hungry for information. They want to know what do I got to do to get ahead? Uh, they'll download just about any white paper, any industry report, any trend thing, any anything to figure out what they don't know, because usually small business owners are wearing like 12 different hats. The small business related to email uh, content is awesome. Uh, the other categories for B2B that do really well, technology, 
probably one of the top categories targeting technology professionals on the B2B sector for email does phenomenally well. Um, and then there's kind of a bleed over category, which is higher education uh, offers and opportunities that does phenomenally well as well. So, you know, some of the areas that are a little bit tougher, a little bit tougher to, to uh, really make email work is the nonprofit side of things. Uh, and believe it or not, direct mail still does really well in the nonprofit sector. Depending on how big of a brand your nonprofit is really can dictate how well the email channel can work for you. And right now in this election cycle, it's tough because everybody's getting inundated with election-related emails. So that sector gets a hit a little bit hard right now. So I know you're a board member of the Direct Marketing Association. Are you guys talking at all at, at how sort of maybe um, – what's happening with the mail service from a political standpoint might undermine direct mail moving forward. Are people thinking like, Oh, wow. Uh, you know, the mail's not reliable. Like I'm not going to send as much direct mail. Do you, do you have a sense of how this whole, uh, all these shenanigans over potential voter fraud might affect direct marketing after the election? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously incredibly sad because uh, the United States postal service is one of the most efficient, uh, uh, services on the planet. When you think about this, the sheer scale and the volume of, of mail that goes through their, 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 what they're processing. And it's just sad that um, in this heated election, that that is being tarnished in some way. You know, the United States Postal Service has always been an interesting thing because it's this quasi public uh, 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 service, right? And so um, it will get through this election cycle. It'll take a ding. It'll take a little bit of a knock in terms of its credibility, which it doesn't deserve. The problem, though, is that it doesn't have the major PR capabilities, right? It doesn't have the megaphone to say, look at how awesome we are. They try to do it. They just don't have a big enough megaphone. So they're going to take a little bit of a PR hit. But you fast forward six months uh, and people have moved on to the next shiny object. So folks that know direct, uh, direct mail marketing well know that, you know, if you send something bulk, it quite often does wind up in the dumpster. So if you wanted to, you know, make, uh, if you wanted to make a, uh, you know, get people worried about the effectiveness of, of uh, U.S. Post, all you got to do is hit the dumpster of any post office and you're going to find bulk rate stuff in, in the dumpster. Do you think... Uh, direct mail marketers will get more sophisticated and, and send more first class mail as a result? You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think that that's really changing what direct mail marketers are doing right now. I think the biggest change for direct mail marketers is trying to figure out where people are, right? The problem right now is, so let's say you're a B2B marketer and you want to send out a direct mail piece to your database. Well, all those B2B uh, contacts they have, are they at their offices? Probably not. So how do you send out that direct mail piece to all these B2B guys? You don't. And that's why they're looking to email and saying, I got to email people because I don't know where they are. You know, it's another it's another value prop for the email community. And the same thing on the consumer side. People are a little bit all over the place. People are like, you know what? I live here, but because I'm going to be quarantined for six months, I'm going to go stay with my family members over here. Right. So it's a little bit of this like diaspora that we're all living in, like, where is everybody, which is another reason we're seeing more and more focus on the email side of things, because direct mail, it's reliable in terms of delivery. It's not reliable in terms of where people actually are right now. For someone who's just getting started with email marketing, what advice would you have for them about, you know, how to how to get it done right? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So number one, there's lots of different ways you could send out emails, platforms, right? Um, and and you don't need a Rolls-Royce platform, meaning that, and they're all good. I work with all of them, Marketo and HubSpot and Eloqua and MailChimp, you name them, I work with all of them. But what I've learned is that even the most sophisticated marketers, they really don't leverage all the bells and whistles when they, when they buy one of these platforms, when they use one of these platforms, they end up spending a lot of money on stuff that they don't use. And when you're a small, a small guy sending out email, you're not going to leverage all those bells and whistles. It's just not going to happen. So what you want to look for in your sending platform is a good rate, a good price, okay? And that you're not going to get nickeled and dimed for extra stuff. If you want to send out an extra 10,000 names, 20,000 names, it's not going to cost you exponentially more, okay? And that uh, you're using a big platform that has a good sending reputation. So if I'm a small guy, I, you know, I'm looking at you know, MailChimp and, and, and Campaign Monitor and some of these guys that are HubSpot that have the, the ability to get the volume out there. And I don't have to think about, is it actually going to be delivered? And the last thing you ever want to do is sending it out yourself. You never want to spin up your own server and try to be your own email deployment shop and say, I don't need to spend money with somebody else. That's an epic fail because email delivery is one of the most complicated things you could possibly do on the planet. So um, I have a question about, um, you know, the email that you send yourself. Yeah. You know, there, some people will put like um, a sort of a super signature uh, in all their outgoing emails uh, that has, you know, maybe some promotional links in it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like sure. In your Absolutely. signature block. Yeah. Yeah, is that a good idea? Do you like that? Do you, do you recommend that? So when you're talking about sending email, let's say you, you're, you're, you just have 500 contacts, right? You want to send an email out to a really small database of people. And these people no, no, no. Are... I'm saying okay. in, my, in my regular email communications, okay. my, not bulk email, but my one-off communications. Oh, yeah. Should I be putting a signature in there that has some promotional links that I'm tracking? Do you recommend that? Absolutely. Um, 100%. Your email signature should be filled up with all sorts of good stuff, okay? Because people will check that out, okay? It's, the, it's a great opportunity to promote yourself. The irony of that is you actually don't want to have all those same promotional links in your messages. What I mean by that is it's great in your personal signature to have your social, you know, here's my LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. You know, follow me on Twitter. Click here to follow me on Twitter. It, it boggles my mind why when we send out an email to people, uh, a promotional email, whatever it is, they have their social buttons in the email. Uh, it's not the right time. And a lot of times, if you have too many links in the messages that you're sending out, your promotional emails, you actually will get filtered. You actually won't be able to get in. So your one-off emails, like what you're describing, absolutely. Promote yourself as much as humanly possible. But you can't w use that same thinking in your general emails that you send out. So there's a setting like in Gmail where you can include a signature with all outgoing and replies, mm -hmm. or you can just do outgoing and not replies. Do you think you should have a super signature in your replies too? You know, the jury's out on that. I don't know that uh, there's hard data one way or the other. Um, I'm an over promoter, right? So I'm a believer that, you know, you got to promote yourself whenever you can. So I include it, or at least I try to include it in everything that, that I do. Um, because if you don't promote yourself, nobody else will, right? 
there's really no downside to that. Let's talk about testing because everyone says test, test, you have to test, you have to test. Yeah. What's the best way to test an email marketing campaign? You know, and that's a great question because it is all about testing, but it could also be, you could also drive yourself nuts, right? There's only so much time in the day. And what you really need to do is say to yourself, okay, I need to get the big wins, right? I don't have time to test 75 different things. Um, what you do want to say to yourself though, is every time you send out an email, it's an opportunity to learn something new. So whenever you're sending out an email, you should be testing something. And you always want to test something against yourself. You want to create your own benchmark. So before you even start testing, you want to benchmark everything. What is my on, what's my deliverability rate? I send out uh, 100,000 emails. I have a 98% deliverability. Okay, great. That's my deliverability rate. What is my stand, ongoing open rate for newsletters versus promotional email? Separate out the two. Great. I get a 30% open rate on my newsletters. I have a 15% open rate on my promotional email. Great. I got those numbers. What's my average click-through rates? Super. I got those numbers. What is my unsubscribe rate on average? People that are removing themselves every time I send out an email on average, what is that? Okay. You need to, you need to benchmark yourself. Now, the next time you send out an email, okay, now I'm going to send out a newsletter. I got all my newsletter metrics over here. What am I testing? With this, new, with this newsletter I'm sending out, I'm going to do an A-B test. I, you got 100,000 people, okay? So now I'm going to split them in half and say, I want to test an aggressive subject line over here and my standard subject line over here, right? And so now I'll send it out. And when it comes back, all right, did it affect my deliverability? Did it affect my open rate? Did it affect anything else? And you see, did you beat yourself? And if you beat yourself, great. You have a new thing. You have a new benchmark that now you have to try to beat again. And you're constantly trying to beat yourself. What you can't do though, is test two variables at one time. If you try to test all these things at one time, you have no learnings from that. So you need to be a little bit patient, um, test one thing at a time, find a win, move on, and then keep going down that list. I read this great book uh, by uh, Kai-Fu Lee, who was the former president of Google China, and now he's a VC over there, and he wrote all, uh, this book called AI Superpowers. And he basically argues that, you know, China is going to beat the U.S. in AI because they have more data. You know, there's less regulation around what data you can collect. And his basic argument is there's no data like more data. So, you know, you're out there doing these big campaigns for these big companies with 100,000 lists. You know, I, I may have people on this, on this call listening to this uh, podcast. They have 2,000 people. They got 1,000 people. They got 5,000 people. So if you're dealing with smaller numbers, how do you test? Well, that's, that's a great point. And what I would also tell you is when you're dealing with smaller numbers, it's really important that you're always focused on list growth. Um, not because you have a 5,000 person list and you want to get it to 50,000. That's not why you need list growth. You need to focus on list growth and getting new people, more people, correct information. Because on an annualized basis, about 20% of your file is going to go bad. Okay, it's going to become undeliverable over the course of 12 months. And if you have a 5,000 name person file and you're going to lose a thousand of your records, that's not good, right? So you, you constantly need to be chasing your tail saying, how am I going to add to this list, right? How am I going to add to this list? But just because your list is small doesn't mean that you can't test. 
Okay, it doesn't mean that you can't split your list in half and still test things. Um, that's fine. You're still going to see reliable metrics. Sure, you have a 500 person name list. It's going to be hard to see reliable metrics by splitting it in half. And that's where you have to use your entire list. Right. And you're not going to be you're going to have to remove kind of timing and say, OK, last week I, I sent out this. This week, I'm going to change it and send out this which one won because you can't chop up a 500 person list and get reliable metrics. But what if you, got, what if you have 2000, mm -hmm. what would be a and, and you want to test four subject headlines before you go to the whole list? Mm -hmm. And what size of would you send the four to and how long would you wait to see which one was the winner? So when you're dealing with that small a file, you really aren't going to be able to test four subject lines. You'll be able to test two head to head because anything okay. below a thousand names. You're so going you're to get. saying for a test minimum a thousand. Absolutely. And Got obviously it. bigger, the better uh, because you're not going to get reliable information. And I would say when you're dealing with that small of a send, I would do the test at least twice before you say to yourself, this is reliable, right? Because there's too many moving parts. So you run the same you run the same test multiple times, and then you see, okay, I got something here. Let me move on to the next thing that I want to test. Uh, but you can't chop your list up too too finely. On the converse side, if you have a huge list, you could do a lot more stuff. So every company has a website, which means every company is in the media business because a website is digital media, and the experience people have on your website directly impacts your reputation. I'd say it actually shapes your perception of that company or brand. I know when I go to a company that has a bad website, my impression is they're dinosaurs. They're going to be difficult to work with because they're still in the dark ages. But it's tough to keep a website current. I get it. Particularly if you're reliant on IT to update your site. So if you're in PR or marketing and you're a non-technical person, and you need an easy way to keep your site current, check out IPR Software. They've got a super easy digital reputation management platform that you can use without writing a single line of code. And this is really cool. It's a special offer for Earn Media Podcast listeners. If you go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash IPR Software and tell them you heard about them on the Earn Media Hour, they'll give you your first month free. So go to ericschwartzman.com, IPR software, check it out, and see how much easier your life can be. So when you test, what sort of patterns with respect to maybe opens versus clicks, uh, deliverability versus unsubscribes, are there any sort of rubrics that you look for? Like, oh, if I got a lot of opens, but a lot of unsubscribes, I know my, I overpromised on something. Is there any sort of you know, generalizations yeah. you can make there. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, a few things. Number one, I am always very focused on the unsubscribe rate, people removing themselves. Let's say you have an, uh, an unsubscribe rate of a, of a quarter of a percent. That's your standard unsubscribe rate. And then you start to send out more emails. You increase your frequency, you know, by, uh, you send out like maybe two extra emails a week. And all of a sudden, you see that unsubscribe rate go from a quarter of a percent to maybe a three quarters of a percent. That's a huge jump. And that's an indicator that the general population of people on your list are not really happy with how much you're sending out, right? So I'm a big fan of looking at that unsubscribe uh, rate and using that as a barometer for am I 
sending out too much. Now, if you if you continue to increase your volume and your unsubscribe rate does not go up or even goes down, that means you can keep sending more, right? So that's one element. Another interesting element is your open rate. If the open rate, of course, is let's say you have 10,000 people on your list, you send out an email to 10,000 people, and you have a 20% open rate, right? That means that 2,000 out of the 10,000 have opened your email. That's your open rate. Great. So now you've had 2,000 people open up your email, and then you're hoping they click, you're hoping they go to your site. I can't tell you how often, especially in the last 18 months, we'll see marketers say, my open rate went from 20% to 30%, but my response rate, the people that are actually responding on my site has actually gone down. How is it possible my open rate went up by 30% and I'm getting less interactions on my site? That's really bad. And there's a new phenomenon that's going on in the email marketing world uh, that's, that's related to bot traffic, B-O-T, traffic. Um, and what's happening is, uh, depending on what sector you're in, a lot, especially on the B2B side, in a huge way, when you're emailing in to people at their business addresses, a lot of businesses now use filters on the email coming into their network because they want to avoid spyware and malware and adware and, and viruses and all this stuff. So when these emails are going out, uh, uh, they're, they're being processed against all this traffic and it's actually generating bot traffic and it's generating fake traffic. Uh, and, but in your reporting, it's looking like it's real traffic. And the problem there is you don't know that it's fake traffic and your open rates are going up because these bots are generating fake opens and you don't realize that, that that's not real traffic. And so it's really important, like I talked about before, about benchmarking, because if you see your open rates going really high, but your response rate not changing whatever you're doing or your click rate not changing whatever you're doing, then you likely have a bot traffic problem. And that's something that you really need to talk to your email sending platform about. Cool. Um, just to, uh, to answer uh, Anne, who asked a question about finding emails, check out a, uh, a browser plugin called Contact Out. And uh, it sits in your browser and you just basically just load the executive's uh, profile in LinkedIn, and it'll give you their Gmail address and their personal Gmail address. Um, uh, Jay, I want to talk to you about, um, I want to ask you a question because I, I have no idea what, what this is all about, but I get these weird email signups, you know, from like these addresses that are obviously spammy addresses, right. like they're out of Russia or Ukraine or right. some Eastern European country. And, uh, but I get them all the time. What the hell is that? What's going on with that? Yeah. So those aren't people, right? Those are, those are algorithms. Those are, are, are bots. Uh, those are different mechanisms that are trying to fish that are basically trying to, uh, half the time they don't even know they're that those bots don't even know they're filling out a form, right? They're just, so it's just, it's a basically attempted SQL server injection. It, Absolutely. But it's they're, not, they're not looking, taking the content, repurposing it. Oh, no, they, they're, they could care less about that. They're not real people. But they're also looking for the ability to intrude in your network as well. Because there's a lot of forms that are set up poorly that you can actually break into a network, right? Break into your computer network 
via a form. It's another orifice Got it. of your business. Sure. So it's just it's it's just horribleness that we all don't need, unfortunately. You know, spammers. I use a Gravity Form a WordPress plugin, and mm -hmm. I use the Honeypot feature to sort of weed out uh, the spammers. Um, but they're starting to get through that now. Yeah. Um, and you know, short of blocking out entire countries. Do you have any tips for how to keep your lists clean? You know, it's incredibly hard. And it's and it's not just keeping your list clean. Is You also want to make sure that you don't have any spam traps that enter into your list. A spam trap would be an address that a competitor can go to your site and do that. Uh, or you could just, if you go out and buy a certain list, like, from a provider, they could have spam trap uh, addresses in these databases. What a spam trap is, is, is exactly what the name is, which is, it is an email address set up specifically to catch spammers, right? And so if you send an email, it's, it's a regular email address. If you send an email to a spam trap address, you then can get blacklisted. Ooh, what does a blacklist mean? A blacklist means that you then can get blocked from your email being able to get into certain email accounts and certain networks and all this different type of stuff. So you have the two pieces of, of, of data hygiene. You have, I don't want garbage, you know, in my database, gobbledygook. And then you also don't want spam traps. There's a lot of great services out there that do email hygiene. That's like a laundry mat for email. There's companies like um, Webula and Fresh Address and, uh, oh my God, there's a million of them, uh, Bright Verify, and there's just a ton of them that are out there that you can give them your database reliably, they put it through their laundromat and they'll give it back to you and they'll remove, they won't just remove spam traps and, and poorly formatted addresses, they'll remove habitual complainers and lawyers if you don't want to be sued for something. And it's, it's a whole service and it's something to really look into. It's called email uh, uh, spam trap identification. Um, we have a question from Michael Shepard. Michael, I'm going to bring you on screen in, in a second, but I just want to ask Jay first, what are your thoughts on double opt-in? Like, is that a best practice? Do you like that for when people sign up for an email that they get a link that they have to click? So, do I like it in theory? I love it in theory because your list will be great. Okay. Uh, here's the problem because I'm a realist when it comes to running a business. You just got this person to opt in. Hooray. You're not Google, right? So you don't have the leverage a Google has or a Facebook has. So you got them to say, I want to be on your list. Okay. And now you send them an email that says, Hey, by the way, if you don't click this, you're not going to be on my list, which in theory sounds really good. Because then if they click it, you are good to go and everything's great. But the problem is about 30% of people don't think about that. They don't go to their inbox immediately. They don't click on the link. And then you are sort of screwed. Because now you've just lost 30% of the people that have just signed up on your site because they didn't verify it. So I like it. I don't do it. Because that 30% is really important to me. Got it. Um... Hey, Michael, you want to ask the question? Hi, Michael. Hey, Jay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Good, to talk. Great. Good to talk to you. Hey, thanks. So uh, we work with B2B brands primarily, and, and I was curious about your top three strategies for building an opt-in list uh, for a B2B brand that's in compliance with government guidelines. It's a, it's a great question. Let's talk about the government guidelines, right? Because... Um, 
not only do the different regions around the globe, you know, in Europe, you got GDPR, in Canada, you got Castle, but here in the United States, not only do you have canned spam, but now you have things like CCPA in California and, and, and all this different type of stuff. It's not easy, right? So there's a lot of good permission data sources that are out there. A lot of the major magazine publishers and, and site publishers have a lot of good third-party data that you could use confidently. The best thing that you can do is utilizing content to build your funnel. When I say content on the B2B side, the things that are working really well right now are uh, free things that you can download, right? Checklists do great. You know, the, the, 10, uh, the top 10 things to look for in 2021 in the logistics industry, right? Or white papers historically have always done really well. Industry reports that you can give out from for, for free, like an IDC or a Gartner report. Webinars do well. The problem with webinars is that um, it, it's pretty costly to get people to register for them. And then only a portion of people show up to attend for them. So I'm a bigger fan of leveraging uh, free pieces of content that speak to what that B2B audience is, like those checklists, like those industry reports, like something you could download and then feed that funnel, especially in Q4. In Q4, which we're in right now, the funnel is the thing. Sales are pretty much done for the year for most B2B guys because they're wrapping it up, right? Budgets are already wrapped up and now they're looking to 2021. So what are B2B marketers doing in Q4 is they feed the funnel with content-driven leads, and actually content gets downloaded on the B2B side more in the fourth quarter than it does in any other quarter, as long as the content relates to the year ahead. So if you could have a piece of content that speaks about 2021 for any B2B category, you should see a nice lift in the number of registrations that you're gonna get. That's a great question. Jay, there are so many options out there when it comes to email platforms. Yeah. You know, there's there's HubSpot, there's Constant Contact, there's MailChimp, there's all the CRMs that have, have a built-in component. You know, but everyone has their own set of quirks, yeah. and there are always so many steps involved, so much <laughs> detail to right. getting a successful email marketing campaign out. So aside from the platform, are there any tips you have on sort of shortcutting the amount of time it takes to email market effectively? Yeah, I would say um, good is more important than great. And you have to plant that in your mind at all times as it relates to email. What I mean by that is you don't need to put together the perfect email. You don't need to spend an inordinate amount of time making it perfect. You're better off getting more stuff out there because to your point, platform is really important. Okay. Uh, having, a, if it's going to be offer related, having a good solid offer is really important. Having a good list is really important. Um, but you don't have to just constantly be waiting till you have the best of all of it. You know, this is the best offer we've had. This is the best creative we've ever put together. You are going to best yourself out of business. So get it out there. Uh, and the other thing I think that you know, marketers are often tentative about is how much, how many times they send to their list. They think that if they send too much, it's going to be the end of the world. The big secret is that nobody cares. Nobody's thinking about as a recipient, wait a minute, did I just get another email from that company? Nobody's sitting there thinking that, right? If your email is relevant, if it's speaking to what's going on now, if it's timely, 
they're going to care and they're going to open it. So send out more, not less. Um, when you think about, um, uh, I want to get into the weeds on segmentation strategy. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you send a campaign to a list, some people unsubscribe, some people open, some people click. Right. Do you have any sort of high-level overarching hierarchy from a strategic level on how you handle that? Like, oh, well, you go to these guys with this and this guy with that. Right, right, right. Well, I think the segmentation is, is critical, right? And of course, you could segment by, if you're a B2B guy, by, you know, industry or job title or employee size, the people on your list on the consumer side. Maybe you want to segment by how much somebody spends or even their credit score. You could do all that. To me, the most important segmentation as it relates to email is real simple. People that have been opening your stuff and clicking, and then the other people who have it, right? The easiest thing you should segment and the most important thing you should segment is engagement. Take a look at your file and separate it into two buckets. People that have opened or clicked on one of your messages in the last 18 months, right? And then everybody else. Anybody who's opened and clicked on one of your messages in the last 18 months, okay, relatively speaking, they like what you have to say. Wow, 18 months? Well, you could certainly I mean, shorten that window. Well, right? talk to me. What do you do? Because, I mean, do you do the pre-COVID? I mean, how do you do it not right now? Well, you could certainly shorten that window and say six months or 12 months or, and whatnot. But 18 You'd be months, okay with that. You'd yeah. be okay segmenting everyone's six months, no activity into sort of the, 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 the cold leads. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, it's a great way to do it because you can get uh, a really lift up the engagement from anybody that's older than six months. But if you're at, at the very least, if you're not looking at that post 18 month thing, then you're really, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Because what's happening is if somebody hasn't opened up one of your emails, like you just said in the last six months, that's an indicator of something. They're losing interest in what you have to say, right? So you need to take those people who haven't been engaging and put them in another bucket. And you have to send them different stuff. You can't just keep sending them that newsletter. They don't care. You need to send them an email literally that says, be direct about it. We miss you. Where have you been? We'd love to have you back. You know, here's a special doodad. Here's a piece of content because we want to win you back. Here's a special free shipping offer because we want to win you back. And it has to be super intense and aggressive in that subject line. And then when you start to see people opening and clicking, they get to move back into the bucket of people that like your stuff, right? And then you have these two populations, people that are engaged and people that are not engaged. And the people that are not engaged, you have to get them to graduate into the bucket that are engaged. And there's no more important segmentation than that. Everything else is just, you know, splitting hairs, right? So, so given it. the amount of time it takes to set up something like a cadence, yeah. Where there's, you know, a series of emails that go out, maybe uh, based on activity or based on time decay or something like that. Yeah. You know, that takes time to get that right. How many people would you need to have in a cadence to, to justify the time and cost of making the cadence? Well, I, I think that also depends on the platform you're using and how sophisticated you are. I would say the lion's share of marketers don't have access to these marketing automation platforms that really allow them to say, okay, John Smith over here, he opened up a message today. So tomorrow he's getting this and this guy did this and this guy did that. People just don't have the capability of doing that, unfortunately, as a whole. Um, so in a generalized statement, 
you want to have populations um, that are are significant enough that you that are measurable. So we went back to it earlier. Anything less than a thousand in any given bucket is going to be a disservice to you, right? Unless obviously you only have 500 people on your list, and that's a different kind of email marketing. I mean, when you have 500 people on a list, that's literally one-to-one -one email marketing. That is not, you know, broadcast email marketing. So you these populations of at least a thousand is is absolutely. Um, you could drive yourself nuts if it gets any smaller. Some of the really sophisticated SEOs who are using email to drive traffic to their content typically go all text on their emails. They have no images in there at all. What's your thought on that? Image, image versus text, HTML versus text? Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's kind of like an old school theory that, um, you know, pure text is the way to go. Uh, we're in an environment now where over 97% of all email recipients can view uh, images uh, and they're done so by default. And the big shift happened, you know, years ago, we used to all use Lotus Notes, right? And that was a total disaster. I'm talking about like 15 years ago. And then Outlook came out. So at work, everyone's using Outlook. And of course, on the consumer side, you have Outlook. I mean, you have Gmail and Yahoo and all these things. But the reason that HTML email, graphic-based email really took a leap forward was when you know, Outlook not only allowed for image-based email, but now Outlook 365, which is all cloud-based, it's defaulted in most cases to image-based email. So to not include images is, is a disservice. And it's not only a disservice because it looks better and it responds better, but you cannot track open rate. It is impossible, literally impossible, to track your open rate on your messages if you send a pure text email. And the reason being is anybody tells you otherwise is wrong, the reason being is when you send out an email, you send out 10,000 emails and you want to know how many people opened it, the way an open rate is tracked is pretty simple. When you open up an email and an image is loaded, that image, there's a call for that image to be served to you being made to from a server somewhere. So you open up the email and all of a sudden uh, an image gets served to you. It has to be served from somewhere. When that image is served to you, that is when you're able to see, ah, that email was open because the call to that server was made. But can't you just put a pixel in there? You could, but then it's an HTML email. Right. But it's still, you're still formatting it all text. So you can, that's really a hybrid text email. That's not a text email. Right. right? So, so the game there is, I'm fine with that. You want to send out sales emails that are, that look like text, but are formatted HTML. Right. Awesome. Then you could do all of your tracking. In no scenario should anybody be sending out a pure text email anymore. And you also can totally abandon. People used to send out uh, HTML emails with a text default, right? You know, with this multi-part email message. That's a bunch of nonsense. You don't want to do that anymore either. What is the best way of measuring clicks? If you are driving traffic for someone else and yeah. you want to get credit for that, for those clicks, what's the best way of doing that in an email? Well, I mean, you want to make sure the, the best thing about clicks is you want to make sure when you, let's say you have an offer in the message that you're sending out, make sure all the links in your message, all of them are going to the offer destination page. It's bananas to me when somebody's sending out an email, or let's say you're promoting and making this up a white paper. Okay. You send out the email in the email you're sending out. There'll be all sorts of links. There'll be a, there'll be a logo for the company, right? 20% of all clicks on B2B emails that are sent out, 20% of all clicks are going to be on the logo 
in that email message. Let me give you another scenario. It's yeah. a newsletter. Yeah. And uh, and there is there's offers from different advertisers in the newsletter. Mm -hmm. How would you track those clicks? Oh, you could. I mean, any of your any any standard uh, email tool allow you to have unique tracking links for any of those advertisers. Uh, that's a no brainer. And then what the big thing is is unique clicks versus non unique clicks. Unique clicks being uh, you only want to allow when John Smith clicks, <clears throat> that only counts as one click. And being able to report back unique click versus gross click is going to be what those advertisers really want. What do you think about multiple clicks? Like when you're looking in at the stats and you say, hey, this guy opens six times. He's always opening six times. What does that tell you about that person? That tells me it's, it's he's not clicking at all. Um, what that tells me is that, uh, especially in today's environment, when you see lots of people clicking from, let's say, one business, right? Yep. Let's say you're sending emails and in your database you have 50 people that work at Ford Motor Company. And you look at your tracking, you have like 40 people from Ford clicking on a lot of your emails over and over again, you could either say to yourself, wow, I'm really interesting to the people at Ford. Or you could realize and say, um, Ford has filters, which is very common. And they're auto scanning every email that comes into their network. They're auto clicking every message that comes into their network. And when they deliver it to the guy, to their inbox, the guy that gets it to their inbox, he doesn't know is already auto clicked, but that's what happened. And they're doing that to make sure there's no viruses. So oftentimes when you think that you have a super user, in fact, you have somebody that's probably not clicking at all, which is interesting. Sad. <laughs> Talk to me for a minute about UTM codes. So, what about? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people use a Google URL builder. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Campaign URL Builder. It's a Google product. It allows you to put in the URL. You can specify a UTM code for uh, the media, the source, and the campaign. And then, um, you know, track it in your Google Analytics. Do you like that? Do you use that? What are your thoughts on that? In general, link shorteners and things like that um, can, they can actually hurt you, believe it or not. If they're not set up within your actual email sending platform, the domains that are used for those uh, link shorteners, they're great for search. They're great for social. They're great for other things. But you want to leverage the email platform domains and setting up all your all your variable tracking because those domains are being set up for email delivery purposes whereas uh all the other link shorteners and and and, and trackable things coming out of google and whatnot they're really not made for email and in many cases they will actually hurt your deliverability what about appending the link after a question mark with the utm parameters but at the same domain will that hurt you it won't hurt you it's, it's, first of all, it's going to look like gobbledygook. So you're going to want to have uh, 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 some sort of, you know, vanity <clears throat> redirect on there, right? So we'll say click here and then behind the scenes, it can be that extended link. You do need to look at the, the length of that link, uh, the actual number of characters, because when you get beyond, you know, 200 characters in a link or something like that, you're going to get filtered because it's going to look like you are not sending really the right type of personalized emails. So they're fine, but you just don't want to be sending code. You know, that's where you can get into some trouble.
So in terms of options for managing those UTM codes, you like to do that through the email sending platform. Always. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, leverage it to the greatest extent possible because uh, that's what it's there for. And they know how to handle deliverability. Email deliverability is a tough thing to crack. And what if, what if you like, what if you're looking at your, your opens and like all your opens are people at Comcast.com or all your opens are at AOL.com or you, you see like a block of opens from a certain, uh, you know, email domain. What does that tell you about the deliverability of that platform? Well, it's either very good or very bad. Right. It's either saying to you, okay, great. I'm able to get in the inbox here and that's why I'm getting all these opens or it's, it's fake and it's all auto opens and whatnot. And what I would do is if you see any outlier, any anomaly, whether it's everybody at AOL or you have all these people at this one given company, you're doing this, that, whatever, isolate the anomaly, take the AOL guys, everyone at their address and don't send them on this next campaign, right? Isolate them out, isolate out your outliers, send to your database. Now that you've isolated them out, what happened? What changed? Could go up, could go down. What changed? Something will change. And in general, that's a good practice for email marketing. Outliers are, generally speaking, an indicator of something wrong, not right. How do you know if the deliverability rate on your report is right? Is there a way to sort of check it against what your sending platform is telling you? Yeah, I would, one of the things that's really interesting you could do is look at the first 30 minutes of your, send out a campaign at an off hour. Send it out at two in the morning, three in the morning, something ridiculous. And then look at your, the actual contacts that are opening the message in the first 30 minutes, right? So now you've sent out an email campaign at three in the morning. If you get a surge of opens, right, from three to 3.30 in the morning, you could rest assured that those, all those contacts, they're not opening up. That's not real, right? It's a real simple way to kind of fish out and say, wait a minute, I do have a problem here. And when you isolate out that you have a problem, that's when you contact your delivery platform and say, listen, I did this test. Uh, there's no way I'm getting a 10% open rate at three in the morning and it's isolated out to these 14 companies. Something's wrong. We need to relook at my IP addresses. I need a new workspace. I need new domains. Help me out. And that's what they're there to do is to help you out and improve your deliverability. It's a real simple, real simple test to figure it out. For someone who's just getting started um, and, you know, doesn't want to have to deal with it, just wants a platform with good deliverability, what do you like? Um, if I'm looking at, you know, if I'm a small guy, I'd be looking at MailChimp or, or Campaign Monitor. I think they do a real good job. As I get bigger and I'm marketing automation, I like Pardot and HubSpot um, and Marketo for sure. And then Salesforce Marketing Cloud is really good if you're doing heavy volume. So that's kind of the direction I would go. But MailChimp doesn't have the marketing automation and the cadences and that type of stuff? They do, uh, but it's catered to a small marketer, right? If you're a super sophisticated guy, you're, you're, gonna, be able, you're gonna be beyond MailChimp pretty quickly. Jay, final question. The three most important things email marketers should be doing right now as a result of the pandemic. Number one, send out more, not less. Leverage the fact that people in their inboxes looking for email. Critical. Okay. Uh, don't be afraid to test things. Put emojis in your subject line. Put personalization in your subject line. Use suspense in your subject line. Shake yourself up. Try new things. Okay. And then in addition to that, 
change your cadence, change your delivery timing, change your day of the week, change the hours, try other ways and see what works. Okay. It's not all going to work, right? But you're going to fail your way to success. And that's the key to email marketing. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, email address, J-A-Y-S at corp, C-O-R-P, com. You can email me whenever. Instagram, we're at World Data with 1D, W-O-R-L-D-A-T-A. And we're at World Data with 1D on Twitter. And we'd love to connect with everybody. I want to give a, a shout out and a thank you to our sponsor, TalkWalker. If you want to get a free trial on TalkWalker, the social media monitoring platform, go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash TalkWalker. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you all next week. Bye-bye.